Section 61 of Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies, an Authentic Record of Remarkable Cases, by John B. Lewis and Charles C. Bombau. Homicide, Part 38. The Monster, Holmes. Part 1. Benjamin F. Peitzel, Loomis Avenue, Chicago, Illinois, occupation given as real estate and dealer in patents, made application to the Fidelity Mutual Life Association of Philadelphia for $10,000 insurance. He was described by Dr. Charles S. Taylor, the medical examiner, as a man of 5 feet 10 inches, weight 155 pounds, chest measurement 32 to 35, girth of abdomen 32, hazel eyes, hair black, risk first class. A policy for $10,000, the amount applied for, was issued November 9, 1893. The application was written by Mr. O. W. Fay, an agent of integrity and intelligence, who states that Peitzel invented a coal bin, had a desk room in the office in which H. H. Holmes also had desk room, and that he first became acquainted with Holmes in the ordinary course of business, and was subsequently introduced by Holmes to Peitzel. A payment became due August 10, 1894, and on August 2nd of the same year, Peitzel saw the cashier of the Chicago office and asked whether he could obtain an extension, stating that he had ordered several carloads of lumber and that he had to pay for the same, which made him short, and he would probably not be in a position to dispose of it before the payment became due. The cashier informed him that he had no authority to grant extensions. On the day the payment became due, a telegraph money order was received at the Chicago office of the association. On September 5, 1894, the newspapers gave an account of the finding of a body at 1316 Callowhill Street, Philadelphia. The coroner's verdict was that death had been caused from burns received from an explosion and inhalation of flame. The name of the deceased was given as B. F. Perry, who had for a short time been engaged in the patent right business. About September 12, 1894, President Faust of the Fidelity Association received a communication from one Jephthah D. Howe of St. Louis, attorney for Mrs. Carrie A. Peitzel, who claimed that Mrs. Peitzel had evidence that B. F. Perry, who came to his death at 1316 Callowhill Street, was her husband, B. F. Peitzel. The fact that Peitzel had done business for only a brief period in Philadelphia under an alias, and the fact that the surroundings of the room in which the body was found indicated that a crime had been committed, although not so considered at the time by the coroner's jury, led President Faust to make an investigation. The coroner's physician described the body found as that of a light-complexioned person aged between 38 and 40, weight 175 to 180 pounds, mustache, dark red, and no beard, etc. This description did not tally with the description of B. F. Peitzel, as given by the examining physician. Hence, the cashier at the Chicago office was written to, to obtain a full description of B. F. Peitzel. As Peitzel was not then, and had not been for some months, a resident of Chicago, he was unsuccessful at first in finding anyone who could give a description that would be of any value for the purpose of identification of the dead body. He appealed to the agent who wrote the application, Mr. O. W. Fay, 
who stated that the only person he knew who was capable of giving a minute description was h h holmes because the two as he understood had been associated together in business for some time and holmes was referred to as the owner of the big hotel on sixty-third street later known as the holmes castle the cashier upon inquiry found that holmes was not living at the castle but at wilmot and proceeded to call on him he was met by a lady who called herself mrs holmes and who said that her husband was a travelling man was not at home and she did not know when he would return home the cashier then disclosed his mission and called the attention of mrs holmes to a clipping from a chicago paper in which an account of the finding of the body was given but it was written as though the body had been found in chicago mrs holmes was quite sure that her husband as she had often heard him speak of peitzel could give a description asked for the clipping and offered to forward it to him and request him to write to the cashier a few days afterwards the cashier received a letter written from columbus ohio by alias h h holmes in which he acknowledged receipt of letter from his wife also clipping and said that he undoubtedly could identify the body and that if the company would pay his expenses and compensate him for his time he would come to chicago and identify the body the following day he wrote another letter from cincinnati stating that he had come across a philadelphia paper and discovered that the body supposed to be that of b f peitzel was found in philadelphia and not in chicago and that inasmuch as he had business in philadelphia and was going there he would call on the officers of the association and render them any service he could both letters from alias h h holmes were sent by the cashier of the chicago office to president faust who was therefore prepared to receive a call from holmes which he made about september twentieth eighteen ninety four holmes introduced himself referred to the correspondence he had with the cashier of the chicago office and expressed his willingness to give whatever information he could concerning peitzel he was thereupon asked to give a full description of b s peitzel which he did he was told that mrs peitzel and her attorney were expected in a few days and that they would probably have the body exhumed which had been kept for over ten days in the morgue and was subsequently buried in the potter's field and was asked if he could arrange to be present for the purpose of aiding in the identification of the body his reply was that he could not well afford to lose the time if there should be any delay otherwise he would be willing to serve the association he was then told that he would be compensated for loss of time and there probably would be no delay he left with the statement that he would call back the next day on the morning of the twenty first of september eighteen ninety four jephthah d howe called on president faust with an introduction from superintendent of police captain linden who on the strength of a recommendation brought from st louis vouched for him attorney howe on behalf of mrs peitzel was asked to make a statement and give a description of peitzel which he did attorney howe claimed that mrs peitzel on account of sickness was unable to come but that he had brought with him her daughter alice aged fourteen about noon of the same day he brought alice to the office who also made a statement describing her father the three statements and descriptions which had been made independently of one another were then compared and found to correspond on all essential points during the afternoon of that day h h holmes returned to the office of the fidelity and was introduced to lawyer howe of st louis at the request of the latter and they met as entire strangers 
it was then agreed that the body buried as b f perry should be exhumed saturday september twenty first eighteen ninety four and the following marks of identification were agreed upon for the purpose of identifying the body one hair of head straight and black with no tendency towards curling two frontal bone of forehead recedes with posterior coronal development three ridge or abnormal development of nasal bone being result of injury to nose four reddish mustache of stiff coarse hair which he sometimes dyed five upper and lower front teeth even and intact worn and stained with nicotine has had some of the back teeth extracted six mole or wart same color as skin on the back of neck within one inch from centre of back and about next to lowest cervical vertebra the mole or wart is about the size of a pea seven blood bruise of one of the nails of his thumbs which caused marked discoloration of the nail eight enlargement of the tibia below the knee of both legs nine a cut on lower extremity of one of his feet by an axe occasioned by one of his children accidentally dropping an axe exact location of incision is uncertain the following marks of identification were found on the body buried as that of b f perry in grave number four ninety six in the potter's field one scar on left leg below the knee two mole on back of neck and centre of neck about where collar button is on shirt three right thumbnail bruised and badly discolored four hair black and straight five mustache reddish or sandy color six cowlick on left side of forehead this has been mentioned in conversation but was not given as an identification mark seven head shaped as described in stipulation with the company eight nose rather angularly shaped and bridge in middle of nose broken or badly bruised the identification was satisfactory to the deputy coroner and the following day the inquest was reopened and on the testimony of h h holmes alice peitzel and jephtha d howe a verdict was rendered that the man buried in grave number four ninety six in the potter's field as b f perry was b f peitzel the coroner gave a permit to take up the body and to bury it as b f peitzel this established a prima facie claim and the identification having been satisfactory to the officers of the fidelity association the claim under policy on the life of b f peitzel was approved and paid to jephtha d howe attorney in fact for mrs carrie a peitzel about one month after the insurance money was paid inspector gary of the fidelity association who happened to be in st louis ascertained that the notorious train robber marion hedgepath confined in the st louis jail had knowledge of a conspiracy and proceeded to interview him he became convinced that there was much truth in the statement made by hedgepath because of facts referred to by him of which he could have had no knowledge had he not been as he claimed he was a party to the conspiracy he had been promised for his part the sum of five hundred dollars and the promise had not been kept it was he according to his statement or confession who brought lawyer howe and alias h h holmes together inspector gary then proceeded to make an investigation and found that alias h h holmes had left for parts unknown 
that Mrs. Peitzel and the children were not to be found, and also discovered that Holmes and Howe had sustained the relation of client and counsel before they met as entire strangers in Philadelphia. This convinced the officers of the association of the existence of a conspiracy. It was then determined at any cost, because of the suspicion that the conspiracy involved the crime of murder, to apprehend the conspirators. This proved to be a Herculean task. Alias H. H. Holmes, who changed his name with every move he made, was nowhere to be found. The parents of Mrs. Peitzel lived at Galva, Illinois, but they could give no information concerning their daughter, who made a brief visit soon after the insurance money was paid. She had left Galva with the promise that she would, in a few days, communicate with her parents and let them know where she was staying, but they had heard nothing. Innumerable clues were followed up in different sections of the country without result. President Faust at the outset detailed four men who worked diligently and who finally discovered a clue that alias Holmes, under the name of Howell, had been in Canada. The trail was taken up at Prescott, Canada, and at Burlington, Vermont, and on November 5, 1894, Holmes was overtaken and shadowed by one of the Fidelity's inspectors, aided by two Pinkerton operatives. The evidence was not in shape to warrant an arrest. The chase through the White Mountains, Holmes having discovered that he was under shadow, was exciting and desperate. It was ascertained that his purpose was to leave the country. Arriving in Boston, November 14th, he stopped at the Adams Hotel under the name of H. M. Howell and Wife, Denver. As the evidence was still incomplete, and inasmuch as the authorities in Texas were looking for Holmes, President Faust telegraphed to the sheriff at Fort Worth and arranged to have Holmes arrested on the charge of horse-stealing, so as to detain him and prevent his leaving the country. When Holmes was arrested in Boston, he noticed the presence of Mr. O. LaForest Perry, representing the Fidelity Association, and at once surmised that the charge of horse-stealing was a mere pretext, and that he was wanted by the insurance company, whose inspectors and detectives had been shadowing him. For the evident purpose of obscuring and hiding the greater crime, he frankly confessed the conspiracy, and stated, in substance, that he, together with Jephthah D. Howe, B. F. Peitzel, and Marion D. Hedgepath, had agreed to swindle the Fidelity Association by pretending that B. F. Peitzel had met his death by accident, but that in fact he was alive, and that the body found and claimed to be that of B. F. Peitzel was not his body, that it was a stiff procured from a physician in New York, and that Mrs. Feitzel had guilty knowledge of the fraud, and that she, together with two of the children, had accompanied him as far as Burlington, Vermont, where they were stopping under the name of Adams, and that the other three children were with the father, B. F. Peitzel, whom he claimed to have met in Cincinnati soon after the money was paid. Holmes was subjected to a rigid cross-examination at various times and by different persons. Mrs. Peitzel was decoyed to Boston and likewise arrested, and statements were obtained from her. Through the evidence collected and statements made by the conspirators, sufficient facts were obtained to warrant placing the matter before the grand jury of Philadelphia County, which resulted in Herman Webster Mudgett, alias H. H. Holmes, Jephthah D. Howe, Mrs. Carrie A. Peitzel, and Marion D. Hedgepath being indicted for conspiracy to defraud the Fidelity Association. Holmes was first tried, March 27, 1895, on the charge of conspiracy, 
and before the conclusion of the trial he withdrew the answer of not guilty and pleaded guilty during all this time he continued to claim that peitzel was alive and that the three children howard alice and nelly were with the father no one believed this and the officers of the fidelity association therefore continued to prosecute the investigation with the result that they became convinced that not only b f peitzel had been murdered by holmes in the city of philadelphia but that he had subsequently for the purpose of destroying evidence murdered the three children one of whom alice knew that the body in the potter's field was no unknown stiff but was that of her father she having taken part in the identification a search was instituted for the children dead or alive the remains of the two daughters nelly and alice after a long and tedious search were found in july eighteen ninety five in a cottage on st vincent street toronto which holmes had rented for as he claimed his sister mrs adams in the previous october the girls had been buried in the cellar holmes had borrowed a spade from a neighbor was seen in the cottage in company with the children, but after a few days the cottage was abandoned, and the owner again took possession. The children had been stripped of their clothing, some of which was found in the chimney, not wholly destroyed, and was identified by Mrs. Peitzel. Portions of the remains of Howard Peitzel, a lad twelve years old, were found in a house in Irvington, a suburb of Indianapolis an effort had been made to cremate the boy but the skeleton for the most part was intact the portion of remains particles of clothing together with a portion of trunk found enabled mrs peitzel to identify the remains as those of her son howard peitzel the house in irvington was rented by holmes the key to it was in his possession and taken from him after his arrest in philadelphia after the discovery of the remains of the children, which materially strengthened the circumstantial evidence, Holmes was indicted for murder. The trial commenced October 28, 1895, and resulted in his conviction November 2, 1895. A motion was made for a new trial November 13, 1895, for the following reasons. 1. That the verdict is against the evidence. 2. That the verdict is against the law. 3 the verdict is against the weight of the evidence new evidence four on account of new matter discovered since the trial five for the reason that the district attorney in his opening speech made statements which were not proven and which related to other crimes which could not be part of the evidence and they were of such a terrible nature that their effect on the jury was of necessity so adverse to the defendant that it was impossible for them to decide purely upon the evidence in this case six the court erred in not allowing affidavits and an exception to statements in the district attorney's opening speech seven for the reason that the district attorney in his closing speech mentioned the death of the children and the finding of their dead bodies in the morgue eight the court erred in allowing mrs peitzel to testify or state what her husband had told her nine the court erred in not allowing mrs peitzel to testify of her own knowledge to the doings and troubles of her husband in terre haute indiana ten the court erred in allowing the testimony of Mrs. Peitzel relating to the bottle of nitroglycerin. Rulings questioned. 11. The court erred in admitting the following evidence under exception. A. In ruling that the defendant's wife was a competent witness. 
b in allowing evidence of the whereabouts of the children and finding of their bodies in toronto c in permitting jurors to enter the box who had acknowledged that they had formed or expressed an opinion regarding the guilt or innocence of the defendant twelve the court erred in charging the jury by giving undue prominence to the evidence favorable to the commonwealth and not sufficient prominence to the evidence favorable to the prisoner thirteen the court erred in charging the jury as follows you will notice by the testimony which was read to you that the doctors who examined him say his death was caused by chloroform poisoning and that it could not have been self-administered now if it was not self-administered who was it that administered the poison to him who poisoned him and took his life fourteen the court erred in charging the jury as follows if you are not fairly satisfied with the evidence of his guilt he is entitled to the benefit of the doubt fifteen the court erred in not affirming points numbers three and six submitted by the defendant argument for new trial was had november eighteenth eighteen ninety five during which one of defendant's counsel w a shoemaker was charged with subornation of perjury the fourth reason assigned for a new trial was on account of new matter discovered since the trial the new matter consisted of an affidavit of a supposed blanche a hannigan which had been prepared by mr shoemaker and placed in the hands of a detective to find someone who was willing to swear to it the detective while apparently doing the bidding of counsel made a confidant of detective frank geyer who conferred with the district attorney who advised that a woman be furnished who for consideration would make the affidavit a police matron under an assumed name was sent to the office of lawyer shoemaker and expressed her willingness for the sum of twenty dollars to make the affidavit which she stated to the attorney she had not read and was not familiar with its contents he had her swear to it and paid her the money which she accepted marked and produced in court lawyer shoemaker was thereupon indicted for subornation and disbarment proceedings followed the decision on motion for a new trial of holmes which was declined was rendered by judge arnold and concurred in by judges thayer and wilson an appeal on the law of the case to the supreme court was sued out december nineteenth eighteen ninety five and on the same day was served on the clerk of the lower court the writ was returnable on the first monday of january eighteen ninety six but application for postponement was made by the defendant's counsel a postponement was granted to the first monday of february for the argument dr herman w mudgett the arch-conspirator and multi-murderer was born in gilmanton new hampshire in the year eighteen sixty one he was one year a student in the university of vermont at burlington and then took a course of medicine at ann arbor michigan he engaged in the practice of his profession soon after his graduation in june eighteen eighty four in new york state in his own language he received plenty of gratitude but little money and when starvation was staring him in the face he conceived the idea of swindling insurance companies shortly before his trial he wrote a book remarkable for what it does not say rather than for what it tells and on the title page of which he refers to twenty-two tragic deaths and disappearances in which he is said to be implicated those who have had charge of the prosecution and have become familiar with his history and dark deeds seem to think that the number twenty-two does not overstate the tragic deaths and disappearances 
to what extent Holmes has profited by swindling insurance companies is unknown to anyone except himself, but he has intimated repeatedly that the Peitzel case is not the first, but simply the first that was discovered. Mrs. Carrie A. Peitzel, the widow of Benjamin F. Peitzel, was indicted for conspiracy, incarcerated in Moyamensim Prison in the city of Philadelphia, and after a time released. The officers of the Fidelity Association and the district attorney became convinced that she had guilty knowledge of the conspiracy, but not of the crime of murder, that she did not profit by it, and had been unduly influenced by Holmes. She confessed that soon after the insurance policy was received, her husband intimated to her that he might, for a time, disappear, and if he did, not to be alarmed, that he would be all right. Holmes knew of this statement which Peitzel had made to his wife, and took advantage of it to get her to do his bidding in order to collect the insurance money. Jephthah D. Howe, the St. Louis attorney at law, under indictment for conspiracy with Holmes and Hedgepath, has not yet been tried. It is charged that, instead of having been an entire stranger to Holmes, as claimed when they met in the office of the Fidelity Mutual Life Association and were introduced to one another by the president, they had actually known one another for some time before, that they had sustained the relation of client and counsel, that lawyer Howe knew Holmes by various aliases, that, in going to Philadelphia, they traveled part of the way together in the same car, but at Washington, Lawyer Howe stopped over one train to give Holmes an opportunity to call at the office of the insurance company and get the lay of the land, that the evening preceding the visit of Lawyer Howe to the insurance office, he met Holmes at the residence of Mrs. Alcorn on North 11th Street to map out a line of action notwithstanding such acquaintance and meeting when he was asked by president faust the following day whether he was acquainted with a man from chicago by the name of holmes a friend of peitzel he answered he was not and accepted an introduction End of section sixty one